I'm guessing John had more awesome things to say about this event. Uh, February 28th and 29th, we are hosting JAQ here. Uh, if, if you're new to the Grace Family of Churches and new to kind of our world, there's three things that we carry really deeply with us. One is reproducing churches. We're, we're continually multiplying churches. Um, the second is next generation discipleship. It's making um, disciples of the next generation. And the third thing is catalyzing movements in the Muslim world. And, and so what happened was our founding pastor, Buddy Hoffman, had um, just a radical encounter with the Lord uh, when he was praying right after the Twin Towers fell uh, and, and had this encounter where the Lord was saying to him, um, the Muslim world is the prize. Uh, and I love them, and I want you to care for them. And so our church began figuring out a way of how do we share our faith with the Muslim world? How do we catalyze movements there? How do we send young people there on missions experiences? Uh, and that's grown over the past 10 years. Uh, JQ is something that John Stallsmith, who you saw there, does all over the country. Um, he travels all over the place to do these events. Um, and it's an awesome way for us to articulate the gospel to the Muslim world because it's not us picking up our book and saying our book is better than yours. It's looking at the Quran and saying, here's where Jesus is in the Quran. Can I tell you about this Jesus? Uh, and so I want to invite everybody from our church, especially if you are a part of our family and have been here for a long time, to come to this event. Um, it's a big part of who we are. And honestly, it's a part that we have not spent enough time talking about here at Grace Marietta. Uh, and so this is a great way for you to connect to our heart for the Muslim world and to learn why we have a heart for the Muslim world and what we're doing around the Muslim world. So if you have any interest in missions, in contextualization of missions, all of those kinds of things in the Muslim world, um, I had multiple people come up to me and say, I have Muslim neighbors. I'm really excited. Can I bring them? I was like, yes, come on. Like, bring whoever you want. Let's, let's have a conversation, and let's start building connections to that. So February 28th and 29th, um, the, you can, all the information on how to register is in your bulletin. So you, when you came in, you got one of those. Uh, second thing is today our local missions partner, uh, Go Hard Academy, starts their season. Um, so we've got, last year we had about 120 boys playing basketball, um, really investing in them, discipling them, caring for them. Season starts today, uh, and we need help. Uh, and it's not basketball help. So I, I saw all the boys like going, mm -mm, we don't want any of these people coaching us. Uh, uh, we, need, we don't need basketball help, but we need other help. Uh, one of the challenges that the organization that we're working with runs into is there's a lot of kids from uh, under-resourced families that are a part of it, and a lot of kids that need scholarships. Uh, and so funding has been a real challenge for us. Um, and, and so one of the things we need is we need a couple volunteer fundraising coordinators. Uh, we're going to do a banquet this year and some events around the community, and we need some people who will just say, I will help raise money for these boys so that they can experience what God is doing and get to play basketball and do some fun things. Uh, we need a photographer who will come to a couple games and take pictures and do some pictures. We need a web developer who will help with the web page if, if that's your thing. Uh, and we need a social media coordinator who will kind of coordinate some of the social media postings and those kinds of things and help coach the organization in how to do those things. All of those things are great ways that you can serve locally right now, starting today. So if there's anybody that's interested in any of those, come see me after the service, or you can email me. It's a really tricky email account, ben at gfc.tv, right? Um, you can only email me about Go Hard Academy stuff, though. You can't email me your frustrations and concerns. Those go to douglas at gfc.tv. 
so uh, I, I, um, I am excited about today. I'm excited to uh, kick off the season. I, I'm really excited about this series that we're in. We started last week with this idea of be the bread, and we started talking about um, just the idea of the ordinariness of bread, that all throughout Scripture, bread is used as a metaphor for God's provision, for the way that he walks with us, and over and over again, there's this picture of this just common ordinary life that's found in the bread. We take communion every week where we take the bread. Jesus took the bread and he, and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the world. And, and so we're talking about what does it look like for us to be the bread. And last week we talked about the first stage of, of, of the bread, which is blessedness, uh, that we are blessed. And we talked about um, that what we often do is we truncate the gospel. And so we teach the message of the Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 17 and we leave out Genesis 1 and 2, and we leave out the end of the story, which is restoration. And so what we end up with is that we are broken, but we don't have the good news of the fact that we are blessed and we are given. Uh, and so today, I want to talk about broken. Uh, and if there are consequences for us leaving out our blessedness, there are also consequences for us leaving out our brokenness. Uh, we're not great at naming and defining our own brokenness. We're not great... I get, there, 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 there is a hashtag called hashtag blessed, but I've never seen the hashtag hashtag broken, right? That, it's not something we project on social media. It's not something we tell the world. It's not something we're excited about. It's not something that we want to broadcast to everybody. We all know how to kind of wear a mask and project the image that we want to project to the world so that they can see it. And typically, the image that we want to project to the world is the blessed image. It's not the broken image. Um, but the truth for all of us is that we carry the identity of both blessedness and brokenness. And there is a tension inside of that identity. There's a tension that we walk in, and it's a tricky tension. And so I was, I was, look, I was hanging out this week, and I was looking for, like, wise theologians to speak into this. And uh, I found an interview from uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. And uh, Bad Boys, is it Bad Boys 3 or 4? Three. Bad Boys 3 is coming out. I'm a sucker for these movies. I, I love Martin Lawrence. Like, I, 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 I watched his show back in the day. Like, I, I, I love all this. Uh, uh, honestly, first service, they got more excited about The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air than anything they've been excited about in the past, since we started first service. I've been preaching the gospel with all of my heart, like, pouring it out every week. And they were like, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? We can sing the song. Like, they were so excited about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So some of you remember Will Smith from his Fresh Prince of Bel-Air days. Some of you can go all the way back and even remember Jazzy Jeff. Are you guys, anybody? Yeah, a few of you. You got, you got the Jazzy Jeffs with you, you know. Um, and so Will Smith was on an interview this week kind of promoting his movie, but he started talking about like his journey as a person, as a human. And he started talking about this image that he learned to project to the world and 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 kind of realizing that he learned how to play a character and how he was learning now how to be himself. Uh, and he's really talking about this tension of being blessed and broken. I, I want you guys to watch this video and listen. It's, this will preach, I'm telling you. It's funny because it was, it was something like, you know, I've been watching you for a while and it's something that I wanted to, to uh, talk to you about. We'll, we'll dive into it offline. But the idea for me is... Um, I, I painted myself into a corner with Will Smith, mm. right? 
and I realized that, you know, we all we have our childhood traumas and we have our experiences, and then we all create these characters that are gonna be our characters that defend us in the world. Ooh, there's certain things we can't do, there's certain things we can't say, mm -hmm. certain ways we react when people do something, and we create a character that we go out into the world with. Then that character wins some things for us. It's like, oh, we, we succeed by behaving yes, this yes, way. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Then what happens, you get to a point where it stops working as well. And the reason that it stops working is because it's not true. Really, It's really. not really who you are. Mm -hmm. And then you get back into a corner, it stops working. Now the question is, are you gonna be courageous enough and are you gonna be brave enough to kill, essentially, the character that you've created, and are you gonna have the courage to live as who you really are? Mm. Ooh, the Fresh Prince is preaching, am I right? <laughs> like, that is, that is brilliant. So, so psychologists use the term idealized self. Uh, it's this idea of the idealized self is the self that you project to the world. So if you go to anybody's kind of social media account, you can guess what their idealized self is, right? If you, if you pay attention to somebody's Instagram account, you can kind of pay attention to this is the type of person they're projecting to the world. So I, I have people in my life, some friends, who they want to project an image of, like, fanciness. Like, I am fancy. You know what I'm talking about? And so anytime they do something fancy, it's on there. If they go to the opera, there it is. If they eat a steak, you know you're getting a picture of that steak. Right? If they dress up for anything, it's on there. And so all these things, they just want to project this image of like, we're doing fun things and you're not, right? We're, we're, I'm eating steaks and you're eating turkey pot pies. Like, I, I don't know. They want to project some image of like fanciness to the world. Uh, I've got a friend who's, who's, a, who's a really bad dad. Like he's an absent father. He, he doesn't, he's not around for his kid. He doesn't pay child support. He doesn't do anything. But his entire Instagram account is pictures of him with his son. What's he projecting? He's projecting that he's a good dad when he is not. He is a nonsensical dad, right? He is a fool, right? And, and so this is what you project. So we all have these things. If you pay attention, even to your, like, go to your own account. That's a little scary. And try and figure out what you're projecting to the world. But we all have these kind of idealized selves that we project to the world, which is, a, which is different than our actual self. Uh, when I was a kid, I played basketball. Basketball's always been a huge part of my journey, and I loved it. And, and I remember when I was a senior in high school, I was getting older, and, and, and I would get really angry whenever I would miss any shot. It was like I wasn't allowed to miss a shot. I wasn't allowed to make a shot or, or to miss a shot. So even if it was a difficult shot, even if it was like I would just get on myself, like I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to do that. What I was projecting was that I am a perfect basketball player. And so what I had to do was I had to defend that. So when I missed a shot, it was because I got fouled, right? Always. Somebody fouled me, something happened. It was because this ball isn't regulation. These goals aren't the right height. Like, there's something going on. These refs are cheating, right? Something's always happened. I had to defend and protect that. And then I had to repress something. So I have to defend and protect this image that I've created that I want the world to see, but I also have to repress what's real. And what was real was I was an above-average basketball player. That's what was real. I'm a really good basketball player with the pastors. I'm serious. I will tear up some Bible college pastors. 
I, I can, I'm, I'm 45 and I'm still confident. I can get out there on the Bible college circuit and I can rip up some pastors. But if you put me with real life people, I struggle a bit, right? That was my ceiling. You know, some people have their ceiling is like, hey, you're going to play college ball. Mine is like, mine was Bible college. That was mine. Uh, I, I, but I wanted to project to the world, so I had to, I had to project an image and protect it and defend it, but I also had to repress something that's inside of me. Does that make sense? The idealized self is the me I want the world to see. That's the idealized self. It's the me that I want the world to see, and it's the projection that I give to the actual world around me of what I want them to see. And, and what Will Smith is saying, I love this, he says, you've got to kill the character, You've got to kill the character. You've got to actually kill the, the idealized self that I'm projecting to the world and figure out how do I live into who I really am? How do I, how do I have radical acceptance of all of these different things? How do I um, acknowledge my brokenness and acknowledge what's real? Because over and over and over again, what we do is, is we fail to project our woundedness in any way. And so we've got to protect and defend anything that makes us wounded or makes us feel weak. Some of us, your greatest nightmare is for you to seem weak to somebody else. Men in the room, come on. Come on. You know what mine is? I don't, I don't want to be incompetent ever. If, I, if there's ever a hint of incompetence, I'm like, I'm in defense and protect mode instantly. Because pastors need to know what they're talking about, right? They got to have stuff figured out. They got to be ready to talk about all. And so I've got this thing that I want to project and defend and protect and all of these different things. When we coach pastors at Gravity Leadership, which is a ministry that I work with, we, we, we do this thing where we, we talk about what is the bad news in your life right now? What's the lie that you're believing? What's the bad news? What we're saying is what's, what's the untruth that you're living into? And then what's the good news of the gospel? Right? What, what does Jesus say to the bad news in your life? How does Jesus speak to you when, you when you try and protect and defend or when you deny your woundedness or when you act like you're not okay or, or whatever that is going on? How do, what does Jesus have to say about this? And, and I'm amazed how many pastors have a really hard time naming the bad news. It's as if it's not okay for us to be not okay. So we have to protect and defend. So there's all of these kinds of I should or I shouldn't or I can or I can't or I'm not allowed to, all of these different things. And so at one of the darkest moments of my life, I, went, I, I, I was seeing a counselor at this time. I was in like my 10th session. And, and by the way, like I'm not ashamed of counseling in any way. I, everybody in the church, like go get counseling. You need it. We're all broken, right? Uh, and so I... I was in this season where, where I was just broken and beat up, and I'd been really hurt by some people in my life, and I was trying to figure out how to wrestle with it and how to reckon with it. And, and, and this lady sat across from me, and, and, and one of the things she said to me is she said, Ben, do you think that God is annoyed with you or angry with you because you're not okay? And I was like, no, of course I don't. Like, I know that God... And then I, I said, yes, I don't think I'm allowed to not be okay. Like, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be in control. I'm supposed to be the one that's strong. I'm supposed to be the one that has the answers. I'm not supposed to be the one that's weak. I'm not supposed, and she was like, well, let's look at your Bible a little bit. And she looked at me, and she said, I want you to know and understand this. God never gets tired of rescuing you. He's not angry with you. He's not frustrated with you, 
And he loves you just as much right now, slumped in that chair, feeling completely defeated as he does when you're preaching in front of hundreds of people. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. There's actually a theological like belief and understanding that, that God is actually closer to us when we're broken than he is when we're blessed. And so we carry this tension of brokenness and blessedness. We carry this tension of we've got, a, we've got an idealized self that we want to project to the world, but then we have our actual self who's not okay and is wounded and has hurts and has pains and has brokenness. And we don't want the world to see this side of us, but we do want the world to see this side of us, so we pr- protect and, and defend and do all of these different things. And, and I want everybody to understand that in our brokenness, we are beloved. Like I, I want everybody to repeat after me. We're going to put this on the screen here. You're going to repeat after me. All right, can we do it? In my brokenness. No, 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 no. We had this problem in the first service. Repeat after me. Repeat, not don't, I didn't say say it with me. Repeat after me, all right? Good. You guys, first service won't talk at all, and you guys won't stop talking, right? But in my brokenness, I am loved. This is one of the most important truths that is so hard for us to adults to, as adults to understand. In my brokenness, I am loved. Uh, the word scripture uses to define this is the word hesed. Uh, the word hesed is used 264 times all throughout scripture. And the best way to define it is steadfast love. It's like an unfailing love, an unconditional love, a love that surrounds your circumstances it's hesed. It's, it's like a covering of love is the best way to describe it. And so over and over and over again, throughout the Old Testament, there is this picture that in our frailty, we are loved, that God is faithful in our failures, that every day in every moment, there is hesed that is available to us. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7 says this, the Lord, the Lord, a God of merciful and gracious love, is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that's hesed, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, hesed, for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children to the children to the third and fourth generation. As harsh as that back end of that passage is with the justice of God, we have to understand that the justice of God is surrounded by the hesed of God. Does that make sense? That God is just, that God will judge, that God will sometimes step in, that sometimes things happen in our life that we don't want to happen, that God will correct us, he will move, he will work, he will, he will judge us and, and, and teach us and show us a better way. But in the midst of all of that, we're surrounded by the hesed of God. Justice is always surrounded by steadfast love in Scripture. And so, yes, we are broken the truth of all of us. Scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all broken by our own failures, right? Yeah, you know, everyone should be nodding their head, because I'm guessing all of you have failed. Yeah, some, some are really nodding their heads. Uh, we're, we're also, we're broken by our frailty. We're broken by the fact that just the world around us is broken, and that there's hurt in the world, and that because other people are broken, they've hurt us. 
That sin hurts us just as much as it hurts the people that are doing it. And so there's failure and there's frailty and there's all of this brokenness. But we have to understand that in the middle of our brokenness, there is said. There is steadfast love. In the middle of our brokenness, Scripture actually says that God is close to us. That he's close to the brokenhearted. So in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is getting ready to make a covenant with God. And we've talked about this before, but I think it's just such a beautiful picture of this steadfast love of God that I wanted to, I wanted to share it again. Um, Genesis 15, verse 1, God comes to Abram at this time and says, um, Do not be afraid. I am your shield and your great reward. This is very covenantal language. Uh, and, and so what, what's happened here is God has promised Abram He will be the father of many nations. He will have as many descendants as the stars. That he will bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. Um, And he's deciding to make a covenant. Um, So I need two volunteers to help me out with this covenant thing. Can I get get two people? All right, come on. No, not you. Tater didn't get to come. Sean, yeah, you guys, come on up. Come on up. You you get, you, yeah, you're fine. All right, here's what I want you to do. You stand right here. Remind me of your name? Sarah. Sarah. All right, Sarah and Sean uh, are going to create a covenant. Now, right now, all our covenants are like we just signed a piece of paper, right? They, they don't mean a lot in our culture. Um, they just mean sometime a lawyer might pick it up and we could get in trouble, right? Sometime in the future, somebody might look at this paper that I just signed. Um, but in the Old Testament, these things worked very different. And so what would happen in the Old Testament is you're living in an agrarian culture, that's not very safe, right? So at any point, Sean's crops could fail him and he has no food for his family. And at any point, someone could come and attack Sarah and she has no way to defend herself, right? These things could all happen over and over and over again. So what they would do is they would create a covenant with one another. Now the covenant was usually created between a lesser party and a greater party, right? A lesser party and a greater party. That's how it typically worked. And so what would happen is the the lesser party would say, I want to create a covenant with you, but in this covenant, what this means is if my crops fail or if somebody comes to attack me, you will provide and protect. You will be a shield and a reward, right? So if somebody comes after you, you would send your armies to help. If his crops fail, you would... Uh, provide him with what, whatever food he needs, right? And then the other way is Sean would then pledge his fealty to Sarah, which means whenever she calls all of her armies together, Sean would put on his army gear and go fight, right? Whenever you want to cr- connect taxes or collect taxes or those kinds of things, you could collect those from here. And so it creates this partnership in it. Um, so what they would do here, come stand over here and, and face this way. And you go stand all, all the way on the other side of the rug and face this way. This is where it gets really weird. Uh, let's go, let's go, uh, oh, by the way, the penalty for breaking a covenant was death. All right? So if Sarah calls on Sean and Sean doesn't show up, right? That's the penalty. And it's a lot harder for the lesser party to enforce that than the greater party. Does that make sense? Right? So, I mean, in theory, you could hold her accountable to that, but good luck with that, right? Like, that's probably not going to happen. So, verse 9 in this passage, the Lord says to Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Uh, it's like a weird scavenger hunt, right? 
It's like, this is where youth group scavenger hunts came, began, is right here, is right, it's God in Genesis 15. And, and so what they did, Abraham brought all of these to him, he cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite each other, the birds, however, he did not cut in half, which, of course, he didn't. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Um, we've got a picture of what this looked like. It's pretty nasty, right? So what they would do is they'd find like a ravine or a ditch. And on one side, they would place half of the carcass, and on the other side, the other half of the carcass, and the blood would run down through the middle. It's pretty awesome, huh? Um, the birds, apparently, they didn't cut in half. They just, I don't know, just threw some birds in there, uh, and so they created this blood path. That's what they did. And what would happen is they would walk the blood path. So you guys walk, they would walk through the blood and they would walk past each other. I don't know if they gave a high five or something. They would walk past each other. Yeah, we're in this together, thumbs up. And then when they would get to the other side, the covenant was sealed and they have made this commitment to one another. Make sense? Well, okay, well, I'll try and explain more. All right. You guys have a seat. Give it up for these guys. Thank you for helping. So here's what's happening. Abram is cutting up animals. He's placing them on the sides. He's getting ready to do this covenant. The problem is, is this covenant isn't just with a greater party. This covenant is with God. And so Abram, in his mind, knows my idealized self, I'll do great with this covenant. I'm great, I am blessed, I am loved, I'm good, I've been given a promise, I got this. My wife Sarah's right beside me, woohoo! But his actual self, he knows he's going to break his promises to God. Because he knows he's going to fail. Scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has failed God. Abram knows he's going to fail God. And so he's standing there, blood in front of him. When you walk through it, it's supposed to represent a birth canal, which is pretty gross. And it's also supposed to represent this blood, may this be me if I break this covenant. Imagine how stressed Abram is right now, standing here. Walking this way saying, I'm never going to sin again. Like I know as a junior hire, like at camp, you guys stood up in front of like, I'll never sin again, I promise, right? But when you get older, you start to realize, I sin every day. My thoughts, my motives, my little things and big things, over and over again, I'm going to make a mistake. And so in verse 12, it says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. A dreadful darkness is, I can't keep this promise. There's no way I can do it. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated here, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. There's like some, some clarifying of what's going to happen in the covenant. And then this is the amazing thing that happens. Abram's asleep, right? He's dreaming. When the sun set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. What's that a sign of? It's a sign of the presence and power of God. 
fire is always the sign of the presence and power of God. A torch appears, and a torch passed between the pieces. So he's sleeping. He's over here out cold. The blood path is here. He's terrified of what's going to happen. Image in his mind, the dream that he has is that this torch walks this side and then turns around and walks back. And he wakes up and he realizes that God's keeping both sides of the promise. He wakes up and he realizes that what God is saying to him is you are both blessed and broken and I am with you in both of those spaces. I am with you as your blessed father, but I'm also with you in your brokenness. I know you can't keep this promise. And all of it points to a savior who comes and sheds his blood for us. All of it points to a priest who gave us access to the father. All of it points to a lamb who was perfect and unblemished and shed his blood for us on the blood path and created a new covenant with all of us, and that's Jesus. How, how good is this story? How amazing is this good news that the presence of God walks both sides of the, of the promise, that he keeps both sides of the covenant, that God says, listen, I'm gonna be your provider and protector. I'm gonna be with you. And also when you fail and you break the covenant, it's not you that will die, it's me that will die. I will walk both sides. And Abraham never walked the covenant because his blessedness was always truer than his brokenness. Psalm 32 says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. Even the middle of our frailty, of our failure, and of our brokenness, our blessedness is bigger than our brokenness. Even in the brokenness of sin, we find the blessing of a Savior who forgives and removes guilt. And there is tension here. There is a tension that we as Christians walk in every single day because the truth about us is we are blessed and the truth about us is we are broken. And there is a tension to that and it's a good tension. We want to avoid tensions, but every good story has tension. My wife tries to watch TV shows that have no tension, just like a bunch of people cleaning their house or something. And I'm like, there's nothing, we watched eight episodes of this and nothing has happened. There's nothing, like, Nothing's going on. Like, there has, can somebody murder somebody or something so that I can watch this show? Like, there has to be some kind of tension for the story to move forward. We live in that tension every single day of we are blessed by the Father, but we're also broken by ourselves. And in the midst of that tension, we find a Savior. In the midst of that tension, we find grace. Uh, the, the Lutherans have a great way of talking about this. Martin Luther said this. He said, we are all sinners and saints. We're both sinners and saints. That's our identity. And so when we say those two things, when, what we think about is we think about like a saint is somebody who's extra holy. Like they've done extra holy things. They've done extra amazing things. They've, they've gone over and beyond and, and that's for other people. That's not for us kind of everyday Christian kind of people. But a saint is someone who has just been forgiven. A saint is somebody who's asked Christ into their life and just keeps walking with him. That's the definition of a saint. A saint is our blessedness. That's the blessedness that we receive. And then we're all sinners. When we think about sinners, we think about, well, I'm a sinner, but I'm not a sinner. Right? Like, I, I've done some things, but, man, have you seen my 
nephew, like that, that kid's a sinner. Like that, my neighbor across the street, that dude, he's a sinner. And what we do is we protect and defend the image of our blessedness and we repress the image of our brokenness. And what the family of God invites us into is the tension of receiving both of those things. You are amazingly blessed. You were created by him and for him. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows everything that you've done in your life, good or bad. He knows your worst moments, and he stands close to you even in those moments. He knows that you've been wounded. He knows that you've been hurt. He knows that you think it's not okay to not be okay, and he says, I'm with you. He knows our brokenness, and he saves. His said, his steadfast love, his unfailing love walks with us. What we can't do, however, is just hide our brokenness forever. It's what we try and do. It's a natural self-defense. But what, what Scripture teaches us is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we're called to confess and repent. So we're called to actually acknowledge our brokenness, to acknowledge that we failed, to acknowledge that we've fallen short, to acknowledge that we've made a mistake. We confess that. And we don't love confession. And that's not one of the, the church is not great at confession. If we did a worship night up in here, we would have lots of people. We're gonna fill the room, Tyler's gonna sing, everybody's hands raised, great songs, we're gonna have a great time. If we have a prayer night, a few people show up, not everybody, but we're gonna, we're gonna get some people up here and we're gonna pray. If we did a service project, we're gonna go serve, we're gonna go get after it and serve. If we did a confession night, my, Sarah's not even, like my wife's not even coming to that. Like, I can't talk anybody into coming to confession night because we want to hide our brokenness. And there's something beautiful about the way the story of God works where our brokenness actually becomes beauty. Where the thing that we thought was going to kill us actually gives us life. Where the thing that the enemy meant for evil is turned to good. And where God meets us in that place of woundedness and brokenness and does something completely unexpected, he blesses us. He walks both sides of the path for us. And so we confess and we repent. We go to him over and over and over again. There's a, a, a German artist, his name is Gunther Dimnig. And in Berlin, he started a project uh, in the early 90s and uh, the project was he started taking these little stones and placing them all over Berlin. And here's a picture of them. Just these little stones, and they are monuments to people who lost their lives in the Holocaust. And what they are is all throughout Berlin, these are placed on the actual place that was the last recorded place that we know these people stood. It's the actual spot where people know this was the last place we know where this person was. And so all over Berlin, I think there's 30,000 of them now, they said something like some crazy number of them. That might be a little high. That seems high. Uh, all over Berlin, there's these things. And, and what he calls them is he calls them stumbling blocks. And they interviewed him, and this is what he said. He said, I wanted people not to see these names in a museum, but right outside in front of their door. I wanted them to be stumbling blocks that helped us remember 
I wanted people to walk past them every day and remember. There's nothing more important than remembering so that we can heal and so that we can make sure that this never happens again. Listen to this. Remembrance is how we become human together in the brokenness of humanity. Stumbling blocks all over the city. It's interesting that every single week we end our service with a stumbling block. (laughs) It's interesting that every single week we end our service by going to the table and taking the bread. Jesus said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we take the juice, and Jesus said, this is my blood that was shed for you, the blood of a new covenant, right? Not this blood covenant, but a new covenant that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's as if in in, in the fabric of everything that we do, God is saying to us, it's okay that you're broken because I'm with you. It's okay that you're broken because I've taken care of it. It's okay that you're broken because your blessedness overrides your brokenness every day of the week and all I need you to do is walk with me. Just take one step closer to me every single day. Just move one step closer to the kingdom. And so today, as I've been praying for this message and been praying about what God wants to do, I've been praying for salvation. I really believe that there's somebody in the room today who just needs to say, you know what? I have never given my life to Jesus and it's time for me to do it because this is good news. This is the best news I've ever heard. And for some of you, I, I think there's people in the room right now who, who you have repressed your brokenness to such a place that you've never dealt with what's real in your life. You've hidden it. You've projected a different image. You've tried to hide that brokenness or that woundedness or that thing you do, you do or that thing that was done to you or the thing that you did in the past and you've never reckoned with it and you've never dealt with it and you want your identity to simply be blessed but you don't want the brokenness identity with it and Jesus is saying, I want you to get real today with me. There's something the presence of God does that brings truth and clarity to us. The presence of God teaches us. We say, search my heart, O Lord, and reveal to me what's going on. And the Lord will search our hearts, and the Lord will begin to reveal those wounds that we've been hiding, that stuff that we've been repressing, those things that we haven't dealt with in our life, that confession that we need to make, that repentance that we need to take a step into. And it's not the funnest thing to talk about, and it's not our favorite message, but it is the truth of who we are. And then we become the family that holds everything together with one another. Like if we don't know our wounds and our brokenness and we're always hiding around it, then we can't serve each other in it. We can't help each other. We can't speak the good news to one another in love. We can't share the hope that we have because we don't even know what we're walking through. But this year, I've been so convicted that I'm tired of having surface-level conversations with friends. Like, I'm tired of just gathering at a dinner table and not talking about anything that matters. And so I'm going to intrusively ask questions of my friends this year. I'm going to try and get beneath the surface and say, like, how can I really serve you? How can I really bless you? How can I really stand beside you? How can I really pray for you? How can I really walk with you? Because this is the family we were created to be. 
The story of the Bible is God putting his family back together again through Jesus. And next week we get to see that he doesn't just break us, he breaks us and he sends us. He sends us out into the world so that we can become this family, so we can become these ambassadors, so we can become something greater. And so we're going to move into a ministry time. And as we move into ministry time, there's going to be some folks from our prayer team that are going to gather on each of these sides and are going to um, just be there to pray. If you want to pray about some woundedness, if you want to pray about something God's doing in your life, if you just want to confess, if there's anything going on that you just feel like the Lord is stirring you to get up and pray, then go and find some folks. We may need some folks to pray over here so some of our prayer folks can come over here. Uh, And then I just think that there's some people in the room who, who just need to say, it's time for me to kill the character. Like today is the day where I'm gonna kill the character and I'm gonna get real. And if that's you today and you say, I'm just tired of repressing, I'm tired of protecting and defending, and today I want to be the day where I just say, this is who I am. I'm broken. And it's okay that I'm not okay right now. Uh, If that's you, I want to ask you just to stand up right now because we want to pray for you. Just want to ask you to stand up, yeah. If that's you, if you're feeling like today's the day I need to kill the character, just want you to stand up around the room. All right. And I want to just surround some of these folks. If you want to be prayed for at any point during this ministry time, just raise your hand. Let's surround some of these folks and put some hands on them and pray for them now. We're going to move to communion where we remember who God is and what he's done for us, and we're going to worship together. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would breathe on this place a new breath. I pray that you would breathe um, your blessing over us. I pray that we would receive every good and perfect gift that you have for us today. I pray that you would remind each of us in this room of who we are and of what you're doing, and I pray that you would breathe the power of salvation all over this room. I pray that today would be a day where some prisoners are set free. I pray that today would be a day where new life enters into this place, and I pray that you would receive all the praise and all the glory. And so as we enter into worship time, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe on us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Move to a time of worship and communion. Life is full.